As we wrap up our time in the book of Jude, I wanted to start off by highlighting a feature that is not necessarily unique to the book of Jude, but something that appears all across the Bible. The Bible is constantly referring back to itself. Now, sometimes these are direct quotes and references, and sometimes they're small, subtle allusions that can be incredibly difficult to detect. But make no mistake about it, the Bible is a book that is always, constantly and continually referring back to itself. Now, what we have here are maybe uh, represents 10% or less of all the possible connections. And you can spend time on your own trying to find more connections and more hyperlinks and more illusions. But just so we have an idea, this represents 10% or less of all these possible connections. Now, let's begin our conclusion into the book of Jude. Jude verses 17, 18, and 19. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now Jude, for the majority of this book, has been going off on these false teachers. But you have to know, the book isn't written to false teachers, it's written to Christians, it's written to believers. And as we conclude this book, you're gonna see him now turn and pivot and start to focus and give direct practical advice to the believers on how they should respond to these false teachers. Now, before we look at some of that, I wanted to, to point out that Jude calls his recipients beloved. The Greek word here is agapetoi, and the, the root of that word is agape. And agape is, is translated love, but in the Greek language, there's multiple words for love. And agape love is the type of love that is used all throughout scripture to describe God's love for his people. Agape love is a love that God has. This is incredibly important because we have Jude calling fellow Christians beloved ones, agape toy. Christians are to have an immense love for one another. And that's part of why this has been so difficult with, with the lockdowns and the shutdowns is because we long to see one another. We want to be together because to one another we are beloved. So Jude says, you have to remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers. So Jude's advice for the Christians is similar to advice that we've gone over in the previous weeks. You need to remember, recall the teachings of Scripture. And in this case, what are you to remember? Something that the apostles laid down. They said, in the last time, there's going to be scoffers. Now, a couple questions arise. What is meant by last times or the end times? Now, yes, in a sense, the end times refers, of course, to the days or years or decades immediately preceding the return of Christ. So there's the last times or the end of days in that sense. But in the scriptures, the last times or end times is also used in a different sense. It refers to any time after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's as if humanity was going along and once Jesus was crucified and resurrected, we entered into the last era of human history. And so since the apostles to today, we've been living in the end times. It's this last era. That's why 2,000 years ago, Jesus was coming soon. And today, Jesus is still coming soon because we, in a sense, are in that last era in the last times. And so, 
both for the first century Christians and for us today, we are to know there's going to be scoffers, people that mock the cross of Christ. Now, there's dozens of examples of this today, but just three that come to my mind in the immediate that I've seen relatively recently. First, there was a website that a guy's made. It's, it, it's the website's titled, If Jesus Returns, Kill Him Again. And the website got popular and now people make shirts and you might see someone with a t-shirt that says, If Jesus Returns, Kill Him Again. It's mocking the Christian faith. Another one deals with a picture and it's a picture of Jesus crucified and he's battered and beaten. He's bleeding and he's dying in agony. And upon the picture, it says, is this really the best your all powerful, omnipotent, all loving God could come up with? And you see, it's mocking. It's, it's Christ in his agony. And it's saying, that's really the best your omnipotent, powerful, loving God could come up with. And then there's another one. The third example, it's a tweet that I saw on an atheist page, and it basically said that it lists Christianity in bold, and it says, Christianity, belief that one God created a universe 93 billion light years in diameter, one light year equaling approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 2 billion stars, and he did all of that only to have a personal relationship with you. And you see, it's just mocking. It's like, oh, you really think that God made this vast universe and he actually cares about you? You think he cares in the midst of all of that vastness? And so Jude tells us, remember the apostles warned you in the last days there will be scoffers. He goes on, Jude verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, right here, you already have like an, an ultimate triad, a triad built upon the Trinity. Jude highlights the Holy Spirit and God referencing the Father, and then he highlights the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that, you have a Trinitarian triad, Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Additionally, after he highlights the Father, Son, and Spirit, he gives us directions. He wants us to do four things. He said, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and be praying in the Holy Spirit. And you are also to keep yourselves in the love of God. And lastly, we are to wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at those four directions independently. First, we are to be building ourselves up. And Jude doesn't give us specific directions on that, but typically when the scriptures are talking about the building up of the body, they are talking about spiritual disciplines. It's, it's reading scripture. It's coming together and mutually encouraging one another. It's singing psalms of praise and worship. It's the spiritual disciplines that build us up spiritually. 
sure, to build ourselves. Second, Jude tells us that we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. This is incredibly important. When a Christian prays, they are praying in and through and alongside the Spirit, which tells you when you pray, you are never alone. The believer, the follower of Jesus, always has the Spirit of the living God in them, empowering them in their prayers. Thirdly, he says we're to keep ourselves. Now, the word keep here is interesting. It's kind of difficult to translate. It's the Greek word tereo. And keeping it, it's a fine translation. But when you think about keeping something in English, you, you might think to yourself like keeping something in your pocket or keeping something secret. Um, but tereo, although it can be translated that way, it has this idea of guarding or protecting, or sometimes it even means to like obey so you can keep the commands of God. And by keeping them, you're obeying them. You can also be a shepherd who keeps the sheep. And the implication of the shepherd keeping the sheep is that he's protecting them. And so it's this idea that we are to tereo, we keep ourselves, we protect ourselves, we guard ourselves, and we do that in the love of God. Now, it's interesting about that word tereo and this keeping ourselves is Jude actually uses the same word tereo when we first began in week one. He talks about the Father keeping us for the Lord Jesus Christ, which kind of has some, some tension there because in one sense, Jude is saying, who does the keeping? At the beginning of the letter, it's God the Father keeps you for Jesus Christ. He does the guarding, he does the protecting. And then when you get to the end, he's like, well, you need to keep yourself, you need to guard yourself. So you wrestle with this question, is God doing the keeping and guarding or am I? Now, what's fascinating about Scripture is it, it always says both. It doesn't pit those against one another. It removes that theological tension. It affirms the sovereignty and the will of God. But by affirming the sovereignty of God, it doesn't necessarily remove your moral duty to do so as well. So God is the one doing the keeping. And Jude wants you to know you better keep yourself simultaneously. Both are held together in theological unity. The fourth thing he tells us is that we are to wait. We are to wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, waiting can sometimes seem like a negative thing. I'm like, who wants to wait, right? But waiting in Scripture is also this beautiful thing. You know, for me, one of the most joy-filled things I get to experience is when I come home from a long day of work. And I know my kids are waiting for me to come home. Now, they don't know the exact time when I'm going to come home. They don't know if it's going to be 515, 535, 7 o'clock. But, but what's interesting is as my kids get older, they begin to be able to hear the sound of my car. They can identify my car door closing. And they could almost like begin to anticipate the front door of the house opening. And when I open the door, I mean, not always. Sometimes they're occupied or they're doing something else. But one of the greatest things is when they've been waiting and they hear the door open and they say, daddy's home, dada. And they run straight at me and I come down and I give them a big hug. And it's because they're waiting. And when I get to see my kids who have been waiting for me, it's one of the most joyous things in my life. And Christians are called to wait. We wait for our Lord Jesus Christ.
Jude 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by their flesh. Now here Jude gives us three types of people who are involved in false teaching. And then subsequently gives us three responses, three ways to respond to three different types of people. First, Jude talks about those who are experiencing doubt. And when that happens, Christians shouldn't be alarmed. Throughout life, you may doubt God, His love, His faithfulness, His goodness. In this particular case, people are doubting certain Christian truths because of the false teachers. And Jude tells us, in a very practical sense, to draw these brothers and sisters in, gently remind them of God's truth, and bring them near back to you and the church. The second type of person is someone who is experiencing more than just a little doubt. They are so influenced by the false teachers that they are about to pass a point of no return. It's like they've been influenced over time and the false teachings have crept in. And now the person is so close that Jude says, unless you act today, they're going to fall into fire. It's very vivid imagery here. And so it's this idea that don't wait till tomorrow. Don't let another hour go by. Act in the now. Otherwise, you might lose this person completely. Now, Jude is talking specifically about false teaching. But there's a general principle here that can be applied to many situations. You might know someone or have a loved one who's walking down a path that unless you intervene now, they cross the point of no return. That could be with something like substance abuse, a developing addiction. It could be something with a toxic relationship. It could be spinning habits. It could be a number of things. But it's this idea that you have to act today and snatch them out of the coming fire. So the first person is someone who's just experiencing some doubt and you you gently come in and you remind them of God's truth. The second person is someone who's so saturated in the false teaching, they're about to go past the point of no return and you have to act now. Now, the third person is someone who's like in an entirely different category. And the language that the Bible uses here is so stern and so shocking that you might not even expect it to appear in the Bible. But here it is, nonetheless. To these, we are to show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by their flesh. Heavy, heavy language. What's this idea that we are to show mercy with fear? I mean, we show mercy because we have pity and we want to see even the worst type of person come to repentance, but we do so with fear. It's this idea that the false teachers are like a rattlesnake. You need to keep your distance. You can't mess around. If you get too close, you can get bit. And the snake has venom. It's poisonous. And so we show mercy, but we, but we keep this fear. We don't want to get bit by the rattlesnake. And then Jude says we are to, and this is shocking to read in scripture, hate even the garment stained by their flesh. Now that idea is an illusion to a section in Zechariah 3.3. And it's very difficult to get across the idea of what's taking place here. But when you look at the Old Testament scripture and the allusions and the words that are being used, a very, very dark image is being developed. See, 
we understand that the garments have been stained. And the word stain has to do here with a blemish, possibly dealing with excrement. And the Greek word for garment here is chiton. And it is referring to the garment that's worn underneath your outer clothes or the cloak on top. So it's like underwear, it's an undergarment. So the image is undergarments or underwear that have been blemished or soiled. It's this disgusting image. It's supposed to be disgusting. It's supposed to be gross. That's the image of the false teachers that Jude is giving. And he's saying to these people, Yes, show mercy, pray for them, show pity, but also have fear. Don't get too close to the snake, you might get bit. And in turn, by doing so, you are hating the garments stained by their flesh. Dark, dark imagery here. First person is someone who experiences a little doubt. And we are called to gently bring them back in. The, the second person is someone who's going so far down the false teaching, you need to act today. The third person is in a whole nother category. They are so evil and hell bent on destruction that you have to just show mercy, but with distance because they're like a rattlesnake and you don't want to get bit. Now, I'd like to do something incredibly, incredibly practical with this incredibly practical point of the book of Jude. And think about people in your life. Are there people who fall into any of these categories? Are there people who are beginning to doubt that you just need to reach out to and remind them of God's love and truth and faithfulness in their life? Are there people who are walking down a path that unless you act today, they might fall into the fire? Because maybe today is the day you need to reach out. And are there people in your life that are, are so venomous that you need to actually create some distance because you're, you're too close to the situation and you might get bit? So think about that and go through that in your mind and ask God, how would you respond? And always respond in love and show mercy and go so fill, filling yourself with prayer. As Jude concludes his letter, he closes with one of the most powerful passages in scripture. It's a doxology, and that's a technical term referring to a formula used to praise God with. These are very powerful words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. So what has Jude taught us? He's taught us that we are the agapitoi. We are the beloved ones. And that's precisely why we need to know our identity because we have to contend for the faith. Why? Because certain people have crept in and these certain people are false teachers. And Jude has taught us how they work and what they look like. They are people who rely on their dreams and defile the flesh and reject authority. He compares them to wandering stars. They are like Satan. They are lesser lights competing, competing for greater lights. And they are always following their sinful desires. But in the midst of all of that, 
Jude tells us to remember the words of the apostles. There will always be scoffers, both yesterday and today. But the beautiful thing is that even in the midst of the scoffing, the beauty of the gospel still shines. Because as Christianity is mocked and the scoffers make claims, even in those things are embedded scriptural truths. So let's go back to where we began. Remember the, the picture I described. There's a picture of Jesus suffering in agony, beaten, battered, bleeding, dying in agony. And the person rhetorically asks, is this the best your all-powerful, omnipotent, loving God can come up with? And my answer to that is yes, that's exactly what my Jesus would come up with. Christ himself dying for me, for you, and for the sins of the world. And to the tweet that said, Christianity, the, the, earth, the, the universe is 93 billion miles in diameter with 200 billion galaxies, each, each with roughly 200 billion stars. And the God who made that great thing wants to care about you or knows you. And I would say, yes, that same God who created every star and every galaxy, the entire universe, he knows the hair on my head and he knows my name. And the problem is it could sound too good to be true. And that's why it's called the greatest story ever told. See, the thing that the false teachers didn't know and understand, the thing what many of your loved ones don't know and understand, what many people in the world don't love and understand, is the radical claim at the center of Christianity. At the center of the Christian claim is God himself coming in the person of Christ to be crucified for the sins of the world. And that's precisely why it's called the greatest story ever told. And that is precisely why we as children wait. We wait patiently and anxiously for dad to pull up, for dad to come home. And we wait for him, for the door to open. And we as kids run to him. And so we wait as followers of Jesus for the day of his return. And we wait for the one who loves us and holds us and keeps us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. <laughs>